1: you're listening to the red Sea podcast part of the over the monster network
0: red sox fans have longed to hear it the boston red sox are world champions
2: hosted by
0: jake
1: Devereaux. it's gone it's in- And featuring Keaton Derosier.
0: It's a grand slam! I'm telling you, it's time to party!
2: Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. And joining me for episode 274 of the show is Keaton Derosier and Bob Osgood of Over the Monster. Keaton, what's cooking over there?
0: Uh, some shrimp and pesto. That's what's cooking over
2: here. Ooh, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, what kind of a what kind of a pasta noodle do you go with for for that? What kind of a shape? No, usually just whatever's in the pantry. Well, what'd you go with today? Uh, looks like spaghetti. Oh, good, good choice, good choice. Yeah. Bob, uh, how are things over in uh, your remodeled new
1: home? <laughs> I am displaced. I don't have an office. Can't find any of my stuff. That's why we're starting ten minutes late. So, I'm really sorry. Um, yeah, just they're just throwing me in the corner of the house, sitting on the floor. So I'm ready to go. I'm fired up. Got the socks on the iPad. Ready to go. do this. Nothing has happened the last four days, right? Oh no, 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 no! Baseball's been
2: uh, been played. So yeah, don't worry about it. Um, nothing to see here, folks. Um, how are you sitting over there on the, on the floor? Are you sitting crisscross
1: applesauce over there? I got the, you know, my back up against the wall. Uh, <laughs> okay, there you go. So we'll right, see. Well, this is going to be a problem in like 10 years, but. Yeah,
2: I'm concerned about your, your being at this <laughs> yeah. point, but you know what? A gamer. We'll, we'll just move on. We'll fight through the pain. Yeah. Um, I am fine I'm just sitting here drinking water trying to figure out what to take from these uh, first three and a half games we're recording this podcast uh, during the crazy first game of the pirate series so um, there may be some live reactions and uh, some delayed reactions from Keaton as he's watching the game and not actually listening to me on the podcast but <laughs> you know those those things will will all be covered up in on the cutting room floor here. Um, we're going to go through what we are concerned about and what we are happy about. We're going to actually talk about what we're happy about first, uh, and then you know, kind of hit on anything that we can glean from these first few games. Um, first of all, the season has started out pretty well uh, for the Red Sox. I guess um, they are two and one, uh, which is better than being one and two or zero oh and three. Um, it's an improvement over how they've started the last couple of years. So. Uh, that is a good thing. How they got to two and one, uh, you can you can debate uh, whether or not that part of it is good or bad. But um, there's a lot lot to uncover here. So let's just get right to it. Let's start off with you, Keaton. What are you happy about, and what are you concerned about so far?
0: This is going to shock you. I was, I was pretty happy with T-Hawk.
2: Uh
0: Getting the start, getting the rotation. Uh, I guess currently in there is our number three. Uh, Got the start yesterday and went five innings. And let me tell you what stood out to me. You know, we talked a lot about the pitch mix, and that was exactly what stood out to me. Um, Would it shock you to know that he ended up only throwing his fastball 20% of the time? Ended up throwing this fancy new cutter and slider more. Well, probably the slider percentage didn't surprise you. But the fact that he was throwing his cutter 25% of the time, which was almost the same as the slider percentage, would that shock
2: you? It, well, I watched it, so it wouldn't, <laughs> so <maybe not. laughs> it wouldn't shock me. But <laughs> I will say this. I was very pleased to see how he was mixing his pitches. And I was even more pleased to see that he was throwing that splitter to lefties.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was great. He basically had four pitches, and then uh, the splitter was uh, in there just a little bit at 7%, which was a a percent more than he threw it uh, in his outings last year. I'd like to see that a little bit higher. But uh, pretty much an even distribution of his other four pitches with that uh, cutter mixed in there. And holy hell, was that effective? Um, Looking at the uh, called strike and whiff rate, For that, um, it was kind of off the charts, 54%, uh, which was even higher than a slider, which was at 50%. Uh, For all of his pitches, it was at 40%. He had a hell of a day. He had guys completely off balance, which was uh, just fantastic to see, which also shows up in his uh, Z contact percentage, uh, which was 75%, which was 10% less than where he was last year, which is the percent that... Uh, batters make contact on pitches in the zone so he just had guys completely full it was great and when he was in the zone guys were missing he racked up strikeouts had five strikeouts only one walk looked really good that was really promising it was a great first outing especially coming out of the spring that he had um weren't really sure if that was just him kind of tinkering with stuff or if um he was really gonna kind of struggle when uh the, the real games started but the strikeouts at least were there in the spring um with the controls kind of all over the place but when the games mattered and this is his first start here, this this was super promising. This looked really good. It was exciting.
2: Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but like coming into that game after um, Corey Kluber and Chris Sale had had stinkers in their first two, um, after his spring, I was like, oh, no. like What is today going to be like? Um, and I was very pleasantly surprised. So I was happy to see that he could shake that off. I think that's a great one. Um, what about yeah. your... Uh, well you want to chime in on this bob
1: yeah just to add to that i mean so yes i was surprised if i hadn't watched i was surprised at how willing he was to throw with a cutter and especially after he'd gotten smoked for all spring training it seemed like all right i gave this a shot got my ass kicked every time out maybe i won't feature this pitch and then he did and it went really well um until the third time through, you know, third time through Tanner or whatever we want to call him is back. But overall, you have to take it as a positive And he looked really confident and he was also, you know, backfooting that slider um, as effectively as any time that we'd seen him last year when he was locked in. So, you know, the line isn't going to blow you away. But as you mentioned, some of those whiffs and that the cutter was a positive pitch, and that he had the confidence to throw it. I think overall you have to look at that as a positive yesterday. But to answer your question, what am I kind of most excited about from the first few games is uh, Alex Verdugo. And we talked quite a bit in the month leading up to the season about who's going to hit leadoff, and... um, Do they have a leadoff hitter? Do they have a leadoff by committee? Is it going to be this against lefties and that against righties? And, you know, Verdugo for the first three games has answered the bell. He's got a 400 OBP, uh, tonight being the third time out of four that he's let off. And, um, you know, has just been a good table setter. He's been on base. He hit a key home run to get them back into the game on Saturday. A little surprised that he'd be Actually, no, I'm not surprised at all for the level of showboating down by five runs, because that's just Alex Verdugo, and he's going to do that. But, um, you know, I think it's a good sign. I think he's handled it well, and I think at least for the time being, especially, you know, it's not time to do the Tristan Cassis experiment at the top of the hour yet, even though he's had a few walks, but he, you know, going into Monday night hasn't, you know, Blowing everybody away and Verdugo's handled it really well. So I think it's been a good choice. It was my choice for who I wanted to lead off. And uh, I think it's encouraging.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, Verdugo was also my favorite of the options to lead off. So I feel a little bit vindicated by that early performance and hopefully he can keep it going. For me, my my biggest positive so far is Kike Hernandez, Um, you know, coming from a season where he was playing mostly outfield and he had some injury concerns. Um, It's fair to say he had a pretty bad season last year. You know, I didn't know what to expect from him moving to shortstop. I knew he could play a good second base because we've seen that. Um, We also knew he could hit really well when he was playing on the infield. Um, And so far, so good on both things. I mean, the defense at shortstop has looked pretty smooth. I think he's looked really natural over there so far, and the offense uh, can't say enough about it so far through the first three and a half games or so. Um, You know, the fact that he's already delivered two home runs the same amount as uh, Adam Duvall is pretty nice. So um, that's my big positive is just that he looks like a shortstop, and it seems like he is very comfortable offensively over there.
1: Yeah, I Totally agree with that. I think that's huge. And it, we, you know, he had a, an injury that was more significant than anyone realized last year, you um, know, core muscle injury that totally sapped him of his power. Um, you know, he hit a little bit in September when he came back, but this was a, a huge season for him on both sides, uh, offensively, defensively. And he has, I mean, everybody has looked good, which we haven't got into just how drastic this has been. But just really good to see him hit a couple of bombs for sure.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll get things started with my biggest concern though. And um, that's definitely Chris sale. He's, he's a guy who um, we talked about at length on this show and on the big round table that we did on Wednesday, uh, last Wednesday um, about how I think this is the most transformative player for the Red Sox. If Chris sale Looks like the intimidating lefty ace that he's looked like for most of his career, especially before the injury woes. You know, he could really transform the way that this Red Sox staff looks. Uh, But what we got in his first start was pretty ugly in a lot of ways. Uh, Just a tremendous amount of hard contact given up. Um, You know, (laughs) exit velocities were... Pretty absurd, over 100 miles an hour often um, for max exit velocity on all of his pitches. A um, lot of hard-hit balls, uh, seven earned runs. The thing that was nice about the start was that you know he had a 35% uh, called strikes plus whiffs, um, 43% whiff rate. He was missing bats, but when he wasn't missing bats, uh, he was getting absolutely hammered. Um, I'm not overly worried about this. I know it's the thing that I'm bringing up that I'm concerned about, but, uh, it's, it's one start. Um, I am a little bit worried that it may take longer for Chris Sale to really get the feel for pitching back because like, dude, you've been away from the game for three years, essentially. I know that he's pitched, I don't know, 50 innings over the last three seasons, but you know, that's still a lot of time to be out of it and not, you know, have elite feel for all of your pitches. So I expect that this will get better. I'm not super freaked out about it, but I'm curious to hear what you guys think about Chris Sale's first start and, you know, how worried should we be?
0: It was pretty rocky, but I'm not super worried. I mean, there was still a lot to like there. The fastball velocity wasn't down. Um, it still looked pretty good, um, was averaging faster than he was in his you know minimal innings in uh, 2019 and 2021, uh, and was basically the same as 2022. So uh, that, I think, is good to see. Six strikeouts in three innings, that's really good to see. Like you said, he was missing a ton of bats. I don't think we should have been shocked that it wasn't going to be immediate Cy Young curse sale after you know only 50 innings since 2019 that's a whole lot of time to make up for um but there was still more to like than not i think in this outing that coupled with it seems like pitching's kind of down all over the place across the league i know that you just you rattled off before we started uh this podcast a bunch of guys that have done well since they started but more than more often than not it seems like uh guys that we didn't expect to struggle coming out of the gate are struggling out of the gate um, and it just kind of seems like he's one of them. So I think there was, still, there was more to like than not in this start, and it was good to just kind of see him out there and pitching again.
2: You're Mr. Optimism now, Keaton. More to like than yeah. not in the seven-earned run, three-inning outing. Love yep. it.
1: What's your take on this, Bob? I think – you guys have covered the majority of it i think it's a you know the the 50 inning year was two years ago he basically missed the entire season again last year you know it's not like he had surgery at the beginning of the first year and then he was out the second year and then he worked his way back last year it's like he missed the whole season again last year and as you mentioned it's nearly three full seasons his only starts were really against minor leaguers and five or six innings after that last year He's completely out of practice. His command is not there, but his stuff was there. He touched 97, um, but he's got to know that he's not in his prime anymore. and He's not going to be able to just go out there and have shaky command and get away with it. I mean, Baltimore was clearly locked in from the second that they stepped foot in Fenway this weekend, and it continued the whole weekend. Um so he's not going to get away with that as he gets older, and he has to figure out that location or it's going to happen all year. But 6 Ks, is an excellent whiff rate, so people are going to swing and miss when he locates his pitches. I think it's probably going to take him a month or so. I wouldn't be surprised if this happens a couple more times. Yeah, it didn't seem like he had much feel for his
2: slider um, in this outing, and in, in the fastball location was a little bit off, so... If he can get those things dialed in, I think he'll be fine. Also, maybe Chris Sale needs to take a cue from his uh, younger self and listen to a whole lot more Young Jeezy before his next start. Ooh, He's a big Young Jeezy fan.
1: I have to reconnect there, too, tonight.
2: Yep, there you go. All right, Keaton, what are you happy about or concerned about, I should say?
0: I am concerned that Ryan Brazier is still on the roster. He's bad at pitching. Um, And he went out there and proved that in his first outing here. Uh, One inning pitch, gave up two hits, walked two batters, hit another one, threw a wild pitch, didn't strike out anyone. It was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. Dude couldn't find the zone. He didn't look like he knew what he was doing at all. He also allowed, I think, three steals. The dude was an absolute disaster on the mound, and I don't know what he's doing on this roster.
2: We've been saying this for years, man. I I don't understand either. He just keeps getting chances. It's inexplicable. I have no idea how on earth the Red Sox are paying this guy like over a million dollars to go out there and throw BP every time. Um, Yeah, I I don't. (laughs) The Ryan Brazier thing may be the
1: biggest mystery of the last 20 years of Red Sox baseball. I get more questions about why Ryan Brazier's on the roster than anything else about the Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> I had a yeah. basketball game on Thursday, and after that we were talking about opening day, and three different people were like, wasn't he terrible last year? Isn't he really <laughs> old? Sure was. Yep. Uh, why is he on the roster? I'm like, oh, yeah, and they actually gave him more than $2 million to come back. <laughs> I mean, incredulous uh, responses to that. He just
2: gets infinity chances. I, I don't understand why. We, we may never know. We may never know. But, yeah, 100% agree. Uh, if he is still on the roster by May, then I am convinced he knows about some very bad crime that John Henry and, and Alex Cora and Tom Warner and everybody else has taken part in.
0: This is what I don't understand. He was DFA before. No one claimed him, which is like, okay, great. Nobody wants him, so like you're not hanging. He's not hanging around because like and he no was one worse. claimed him. You can't trade him because nobody wants him. So what are you doing with him? There's not a single other pitcher in the entire organization that you could replace him with. Not one. The
2: guys I, I mean, There bullet. has
0: to be like at least forty that would cost less than two million dollars.
2: He could burn
1: down Fenway Park and still have a job. <laughs> As long as he burns down the LED lights with him. Um, <coughs> my um, disappointment is the stolen bases so far. Uh, Friday or Thursday and Saturday, five for five. First time in Major League history that a team has gone five for five in each of the first two games, which I guess isn't surprising with the new rules, but it is surprising because nothing like that is going on in any other stadium. Um, To me, half of that was Ryan Brazier, as Keaton mentioned, and the other half just seemed like a lack of preparation or something that the Orioles saw in film from the preseason, or I'm not sure. But they were not holding runners on correctly. They must have been you know, timing the pitch clock and throwing pitches at the exact same times. Whatever it is, the Red Sox weren't ready, and nobody was ready from the starters to the relievers across the board. Um, to hold base runners on and that goes for the catchers who weren't even making throws and just accepting uh, like it was a babe ruth game that the guy was just gonna steal second and we won't throw it down because it might get worse or we might throw it away or the guy might steal home from third or something afraid to Um, chuck
2: it into the outfield right yeah so
1: that doesn't reflect well on the pitchers the catchers the manager uh or anything there and um that needs to turn around quickly, and there's a guy down at AAA who has one of the three best pop times in the minor um, in the major leagues from last year that they can bring up who will at least throw the ball down a second. So
2: that that was my next follow-up question: like, how long are we going to sit here with no throw? You know, Reese McGuire, um, you know, first time he's shy in public, I guess, with that arm, um, and <laughs> Connor Wong. I mean. What are we doing here when we have Alfaro just sitting around there with glorious locks, a cannon for an arm, and ridiculous pop
1: time? Why isn't he up here right now? It sounds like the um, the his receiving was pretty awful in spring training, the more that you read about it. Um, but it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter if, if it's just going to be a turnstile around the bases. So I think they'll give it... I'm sure they'll give it more time. I mean, it's it's tough to, to analyze after three games. I mean, the pitching I don't think is going to be this bad for six months, and the hitting is not going to be this good for six months, I don't think, although Monday is proving otherwise. But, you know, give them a few weeks and see if some adjustments are made. But you'd have to think by the end of April that they would make a switch if that's continuing, anything close to that.
2: Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, some some other things around here uh, that are looking pretty good. I mean, I guess we could say the offense as a whole. Uh, Adam Duvall has started off absolutely gangbusters. Yoshi's been really good. Hit his first home run today. Um, Justin Turner's looked great. Devers has looked awesome. Um, you know, basically the whole offense, aside from the catchers and Christian Arroyo, have looked amazing um bob let's start with you first out of those guys who has impressed you the most on offense
1: i'll go with adam duvall which might be the most obvious one but we really didn't talk about duvall a whole lot um after the signing and he's hitting right in the the middle of the order and has you know would have hit for the cycle if he could have stopped at first on the walk-off home run on saturday um and to think back to he was hurt for for half of last year so i'm gonna leave 2022 out of it but if you combine the short 2020 season and the full 2021 season he had the fourth most homers in all of baseball you know tatis had 59 sal perez had 59 vlad had 57 and then duval was fourth at 54 over those two years so this of course he's not going to hit to this level no one will but this is what he does. He hits for power and he also hits for power at Fenway. And we saw him come in with Atlanta and have a three home run game a year or two ago. Um, And I think, you know, it it might be for a low average. He might get in some slumps with some strikeouts, but he's going to hit for power. And he clearly is comfortable playing at Fenway. and, And, you know, we don't have to see him here in another uniform anymore. So I think that was a great sign. He is already been incredibly clutch uh, even beyond the home runs uh, for the first three and a half games that we've seen.
2: Now let me just follow up with this he almost hit for the cycle here did that make you want to get your ass out to Jordan's furniture and uh, you know buy a new sectional for for the new uh, addition on the house box?
1: <laughs> is that what they is it a cycle deal this year? That's
2: the it's a cycle deal this year so I mean almost having one in the first series you got a Got to think about that deal. Makes Got to think about to, spending some money on a couch. Makes me want to grow a ponytail. There you go, uh, Keaton. Who's your offensive gem so far?
0: Well, it's also Adam Duval. Um, like Bob said, that's the easy answer, but um, it's hard not to be impressed. And we when, when we did talk about Duval, we talked about how um, he generally didn't hit. Perf- for power while he was playing center field. And that's obviously where he's playing right now for the Red Sox. Um, he had eight hits in the first series and six of them went for extra bases. And obviously he had the two home runs. So um, it seems like that doesn't really matter. So it was just a weird coincidence uh, coming from all of the previous games of his entire career. Uh, or maybe he just is unfazed by the weird shape of uh, Fenway's center field that doesn't feel like a center field. So uh, it doesn't affect him at the plate. I don't know. But i uh,
2: love to see it not stop. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess for me, probably just that Yoshi has continued to look really good. You know, just that seeing that carry over from the WBC and seeing how he's looked, uh, I think has been really encouraging. And also, he's not as bad as a defender as I feel like he was advertised to be, and I think he'll only get better as he adjusts to playing in Fenway Park, so I'm a little encouraged by that. But I want to turn to the pitching side of things now. We kind of brushed over the fact that Corey Kluber had a really bad first start as well. Um, you know, we we mentioned that with Chris Sale's bad start. There's a lot to kind of look at that we feel pretty good about still moving forward. But with Corey Kluber, are you guys feeling differently about his bad start? And is this a little bit more ominous, considering you know the? control issues coupled with the hard contact and the fact that you know the the velocity is not anywhere close to prime Corey Kluber at this point let's start with you Keaton
0: yeah I mean it's still kind of hard just to overreact to one start but velocity has been steadily ticking down so it's you know hard not to notice that um I'm not I mean I'm I guess on the worry meter, maybe a little bit more worried than sale, but I'm still not super duper worried yet just because it is one start and he had a really good spring and I need to, I just got to see more. So, uh, kind of, I'm neutral on this one. I haven't gone one way or the other yet.
1: How about you, Bob? What do you think? I agree that it's too early to draw conclusions. I also think that last year, um, Kluber when he got hit, he got hit hard. He had a lot of six, seven earned run outings and then he had some elite performances in between and it was really which makes him a really frustrating player to watch because um, you don't know when the great outing is coming and you don't know when the blow up is happening. But there was a lot of that, and I think when all was said and done, his ERA was, what, four and a quarter, four and a half, somewhere around there. Um, So you got a 36-year-old with an ERA that was well over four a year ago pitching on opening day. I don't think that the result is a surprise. It was surprising that he had so much trouble with control. You could say it was 38 degrees that day, but it was 38 for Kyle Gibson, and he was throwing strikes for five or six innings. So I'm not shocked. I think that he's, you know, not even gonna be that much different than Rich Hill. That he's gonna have some great games and he's gonna have some clunkers and he'll be fine.
2: I don't know. I'm gonna. Uh, I'll take the other side of this one. I'm more concerned than either of you two about Corey Kluber. And you know, looking at the the numbers behind my concern in that first start, I know that sometimes guys take a little bit to get their velocity up, but. His max velocity on his um, his four-seam fastball was 86.7 in that start. For the sinker, it was 88.4. Um, not very good uh, when your max velocity is under 90 miles an hour by a lot. And then uh, in terms of whiffs in this start, only 16%. And his CSW was only 21%. Those are just not good starter numbers. Those are not even – those are like – Fifth starter numbers, bad fifth starter numbers. They're bad. Um, and and like you mentioned, with the control not being there, I think he pretty much at this point, if if this is what the stuff is going to be like this year, um, and there's no guarantee that it will, maybe it'll bounce, bounce back and, and come up, but he's going to have to be pretty much pinpoint and perfect every time he goes out there. If This is how reduced his stuff is at this point.
1: I hope when I said that he'll be kind of like Rich Hill that it didn't sound like I was defending Kluber as a <laughs> I'm out having a great year this year and his four thirty six ERA. Yeah, I mean that I guess that'd be better
2: than what Rich Hill was last year, right? Slightly. What was Rich Hill last year? It's like four and a half. Put me on the spot. Yeah, I don't remember. I tried to block out Rich Hill's starts. But we'll we'll see Rich Hill, won't we? Will we see him uh, in this series with Pittsburgh?
1: He threw the first gonna miss series, him? so you oh, to we'll be him. Wednesday at the latest. Okay. All right.
2: Um, let's move on to our next topic here. Um, the bullpen. Been real up and down. Um, the one half of the bullpen, the half that we kind of expected to be good, Chris Martin, John Schreiber, Kenley Jansen, Um coupled with Josh Winkowski as the long man. All four of those guys have been very effective. Um, The other four guys, Brazier, Ort, Kelly, Blyer, have not been effective so far. Uh, Keats, this was kind of the big thing we talked about that we all agreed that the Red Sox really took a step forward on is their bullpen. Um, But, you know, Ort being part of this unit, Kelly not looking good, Blyer not looking good in his one outing. Um, Did we kind of overrate? the improvements that they made in this bullpen at this point, or is this all going to look a little bit better and different when Bayo and Whitlock come back?
0: Um, yeah, I think the way that we, and below, I don't think we did because we talked about how the starting rotation that they had kind of set the table for the length of the bullpen, having like three of those guys injured immediately changed the entire dynamic of that. So, no, I don't think we underestimated it. I just didn't think we expected all of the injuries to happen immediately. We figured maybe they would happen not at the same time and later in the season so it would make them look a little bit more manageable. But we kind of knew that there wasn't a ton of depth, at least right off the bat, but we have the potential of having some guys from the upper minors on the way. Um, So I think with the guys back in the rotation – and um, the guys that we talked about, like um, potentially Brian Mata and some others later in the year, um, kind of fortify the uh, the front of the bullpen a bit. It's just going to be a little bit weird um, for the first you know, month, maybe month and a half or so. It just sucks that there's literally no other options and this is what we got because they don't look great.
1: I think yeah. we had a good handle on the bullpen early yeah. when we thought that it was going to be Jansen Schreiber and Martin and Joelly Rodriguez and Tanner Houck as the long man. And then you just have to fill in a couple other spots. Um, and then I think that we weren't wrong after that, when we looked at Caleb Ort to the point that we said, well, he'll get DFA'd and it'll be someone that's on another team on the first day. Right. That yeah. didn't happen. It was Caleb Ort. and why is Ryan Brazier back? So, yeah, I mean, I think Zach Kelly we thought would be a little bit better than he has been so far, um, and not knowing a whole lot about Blyer, but he is the only lefty, so they're without a true kind of standout lefty until Rodriguez gets back. Um, I think we knew what it was, and I think that the back end of the bullpen has been great. I mean, Martin, they need to pump the brakes there. He's thrown in all three games, um, but Jansen looked really good on Saturday. Um, was up near 96, 97 and had some action on the cutter. And he was the only pitcher that I was paying attention to the pitch clock and he handled it well. He was, you know, getting his whole routine that he does beforehand with enough time to spare to to get rid of the ball. Um, so I thought that was all encouraging and I think that these pitchers should be back in April and eventually that it'll fall into place, but who knows, there could be two more injuries by then.
2: Yeah, I think you guys are right. Uh, we we pretty much nailed the, all these uh, things. It's just lots of injuries to start the year, so it is what it is at this point. Um, let's get to some of the other changes, though, that don't have to do with necessarily just the Red Sox um, pace of play. Bob, you're a guy who follows baseball, not just the Red Sox, but you know league wide, and I'm sure as all three of us have we've been watching more baseball than just the Red Sox over these first couple of days of the season. What's your take on the new rules and how it's impacted pace of play? Do you like it? Do you notice it? You know, what's what's kind of your take on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we noticed it from uh, opening day and that, that game would have been four hours if not for a pitch clock. I mean, it was a miracle that that opening day game was about three hours and ten minutes. It was unwatchable with the walks and just what seemed like the slowness of the game, and yet it still ended up at 310. And then you see that the games are down a full 30 minutes, um, and that batting averages are up 15 points, and that there are more stolen bases. And it's everything that they were trying to do has worked and I don't think it's excessive. I mean, you could argue that 30 minutes is a really drastic change. I'm fine with it. Um, I think that, I think when you watch any sport that it shouldn't be longer than three hours. You know, I just kind of think in general that that is uh, the attention span that we always should have is to watch a sporting event that doesn't go to overtime for three hours or less. And they've gotten below that um, by quite a bit already so I think it's working um you know I don't know there's a couple of things that bug me I don't know why Devers was called out on Thursday and there's just certain nuance that I think they need to figure out a little bit you know I'm not the biggest just fundamentally I don't agree with the the shift idea and you know I think you, should, you play defense against the offense's strength so I didn't love that but I love the pitch clock um you know, and I think that it just maybe some minor changes to it, or they just need to get used to it. But overall, um, I think it's been it's been a really good start. I've enjoyed watching the games, and even the West Coast games that I get roped into staying up for. Sometimes they're over by one a.m.
2: Keaton, what's your take on the new rules? Well, let's focus particularly on what you think of the uptick in stolen bases. Um, those have more than doubled in the last in the first. Uh, three games of this year, league-wide, from last year. And the success rate is incredibly different. It's 80% or so, um, so far. And then what do you think about the shift or the elimination of the shift? The shift
0: didn't bother me at all. So, I mean, but I don't know if I really kind of noticed that it's gone either. So um, that one's just kind of like a ma one for me but the, the steals one I like it kind of makes things more exciting um, and it punishes shitty pitchers that don't um, vary their timing like Ryan Brazier who use up the entire pitch clock and get to the final three seconds and they're like oh shit I need to throw a pitch now and they're naturally slow to the plate so everybody just gets a steal on them without a throw like come on dude you're a goddamn idiot you're better than this
2: <laughs> no he's not well he's actually like, you're right, he's not because he he's didn't change a goddamn than... thing the entire time. Yeah,
1: so, <laughs> worked him into every segment so far.
2: Yeah. 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 I, I guess I'm the only one who's passionately for the uh elimination of the shift. I I just love anything that's gonna pull uh athleticism back into the game and I just really love the idea that shortstop and uh second base are both uh, very athletic positions now, um, and maybe that's just the the Dustin Pedroia defense fan in me. Um, but yeah, anything to get those second basemen more involved in athletic plays, I absolutely love. And offense, you know, the slash line across the league has been better this year significantly uh, than it was last year through this point. So I'm encouraged about that. Uh, one thing I know that you were not very encouraged by Bob, and I wanted to ask you your take on this was the lights uh, at Fenway after the Adam Duvall walk-off. I know that you're a guy who, um, you know, spends a significant amount of time at Fenway during the summers. Um, so, what are they doing here with these WWE-style lights?
1: I'm going to be there on Tuesday night, and my first thought is that when you're there, it probably is uh, a net positive. I'm sure it's a cool look. I just, when you're watching the game on television, I, I think of that moment with Duval, and I really enjoy watching the team. I enjoy watching the celebrations. I enjoy seeing the look on people's faces. I wanted to see the look on Felix Bautista's face after the second consecutive game that one of his players is made an error with two outs in the ninth and see if he was strangling anybody in the field. And I couldn't really get a feel for what was going on. I couldn't because the lights were flashing on and off and there was some sort of strobe light situation going on that I wasn't prepared for. <clears throat> and I went from elation to what the hell is going on here? Um, and then I'm noticing and th- that was the only time that there had been any portion of the game in the evening. It seems like in the Monday night game, they're doing that in on all of the home runs so that's it's going to be a thing on every home run um i don't know i don't think it's a boomer take when you know a couple of years ago when they changed all the music at fenway and brought in a whole lot more techno and modern music and got rid of the uh, the organ i was all for that but i just i want to see the reactions of the players in the field when i'm watching the game on television i hated the lights what do you think of it keaton
0: it didn't bother me. I didn't
1: care. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did all you right. notice
1: it?
0: Yeah. Of okay. course <laughs> I noticed easily. it. Yeah, right. It just didn't bother me.
2: Well, maybe this will bother you. Have you enjoyed Dave O'Brien and Euclid on the call so far?
0: Uh, they had, don't bother me. <laughs> I don't care. I also usually uh, don't watch with the sound on because I'm doing other stuff. So I'd say like 85% of the games I watch are muted. Um, okay. and Especially because uh, these games have been in the middle of the day. Um, there's been other stuff going on. So I, I have listened to maybe one inning of them on the call. Okay. I mean, I know Euclid is, I enjoy Euclid. And we've talked about Dave uh, O'Brien in the, in the otm slack and i i'm one who is unbothered by him but i know there are some strong takes
1: what do you think over there bob Uh, i don't want to like just be completely out on it because i want to give ucalus more time um and it is the standards are high when you go from jerry remy to dennis eckersley um to newcomers even though i know they worked them in a little bit last year For me, it's more of a Dave O'Brien problem. I, um, you know, still, however many years later, think that it was the wrong move to get rid of Orsillo. I think when I listen to the game on the radio that Sean McDonough, who's been calling more games in recent years, does an outstanding job, and then I'm more inclined to to listen to the game on the radio when he's on. Um, There's just a monotony uh, to O'Brien calling the game, and I just... When when Monaco steps in, I think that there is um, just a lot more life in the booth. So I don't know. I want to give Euclid more of a chance, but I was not blown away in the first couple of games.
2: Yeah, so that's my problem with Dave O'Brien is he's just not funny at all. Um, no, I I think there needs to be some levity at, at different points during the broadcast and his attempts at humor just sound like somebody who's unfunny trying to do something that's funny and it just doesn't work and it falls flat. Um, and I feel like he leaves his partner hanging all the time with, you know, you will try and say something and he just like, won't understand the reference. So he just doesn't say anything back. Um, and then I think that you just doesn't say anything particularly useful. So, um, I think he needs to grow into the job a little bit more, and I think there's some potential there. But I could not agree with you more that Mike Monaco is the answer uh, here. I need more Mike Monaco. I don't know why they haven't done this yet.
1: Yeah. The – when Bill Burr was in the booth last summer, I've never seen anything more out of place with him next to (laughs) – dave o'brien it just didn't seem i, I want to see the reverse i want to see dave o'brien go into a, a stand-up club and deliver some of his on-air jokes and see how that goes goes over in a uh, awesome club.
2: the yin and yang right there next to each other yeah <laughs> that's that's something um but mike monaco is kind of bouncing all over the place at this point right he's doing like all sorts of different sports. I think he was doing some college basketball this year. Yep. So I don't know. I don't know where his his talents will take him. Don't um, let him get away. Before we move on here uh, to our listener questions, uh, a little bit of news on Whitlock and Bayo. Uh, both of those guys are working their way back. Bayo should get a start this week. Um, Whitlock did get a start at Worcester. Four innings, one earned run, six strikeouts, one walk. Looked really good. Um, So he should be back relatively soon. And uh, Bayo, if he looks good, should be back pretty soon too. So help is on the way uh, for these Red Sox. Um, Anything else that you guys want to hit on that we didn't hit on from the first uh, three and a half games or so before we move
1: on? Just on the Whitlock point, I know it seems like the narrative has been that he would get one more start and then be at Fenway, but said that in the third and fourth inning, his velocity was down closer to 92, and you just wonder if his stamina, if his legs are built up yet, so I feel like he might get two more starts unless he's able to hold the velocity into the fifth inning. I I don't think that's going to fly at Fenway if he's throwing 92 in the fourth inning as much as I... Love Garrett Whitlock stuff. Jeez, ninety two is not going to fly.
2: Then, uh, then our our buddy Kluber's in trouble. Oh. <laughs> um, all right. Let's move on to our listener questions. Our first one comes from Lurchimus, and he says, "Should I take away?" Uh more from the ugly bullpen performance or the awesome bullpen performance. We we kind of covered this a little bit, split down the middle, guys that have been really good and guys that have been really bad. Uh Keaton, which one should he focus on?
0: Uh focus on the good, because uh, I'm the positive guy.
1: Alright. Alright. I like I it. Agree. I think that uh I think that um you know, who they were relying on and who they expected to rely on back in January when they drew this up, pitched well. So hopefully they stick around. Yeah, I agree with
2: both of you guys. I think uh, Blyer will be better. i um, not sure if Kelly will be better. I was expecting him to be better. Um, but soon, hopefully we won't have to worry about Brazier and Ort at all. Our next question comes from a great big Lark, and he says, what is your opinion on Verdugo leading off all season versus right-handed pitchers? I know it's one series, but I really like his approach. seems to be focusing more on contact over power in the leadoff at bat, and I think that's better for him. Um, I absolutely agree. I love Verdugo leading off against right-handed pitchers, and I think it is also beneficial to not go with any sort of rotation there and to leave – Verdugo in that spot, provided he looks good in that spot. Uh, do either of you guys have thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, I I, think generally I agree with that. I think that they should stick with it as long as they can. Um, I think that he has something to prove. I kind of did the Verdugo preview before the season on Over the Monster and just felt that he more than anybody had something to prove this year um i think there have been i don't know there's just been mental lapses with verdugo defensively on the bases and maybe just starting the game leading off getting in the swing of things just from the minute that the game starts um along with just a general better focus best shape of my life the whole thing that he's coming in with um you know I, I i think that he just is going to be who he is if he has the same season for pretty much the fifth consecutive year i mean the last four years he's hit 294 308 289 280 that's great but his home runs um outside of the short season 12 13 11 I mean that's just is who he is which is a a solid player um but I think that he has a lot to prove this year, and if he uh, continues in that spot, then just leave him there.
2: Makes a lot of sense. All right, um, Keaton. Anything before we get out of here?
0: Nope. What's that.
2: All right. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Send us emails at redseatpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. You can find Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can find Bob at Bob Osgood15. You can find me at, at DevJake, and you can find the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. We will be in your ears again next week. Thanks for listening, guys.